Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of The Grind. With me, I am Dave McClung, and with me, as always, is the, bringing it back, folks, the illustrious, the magnanimous, the one and only, Chad Grigsby. Hey, Dave. He has some uh, <laughs> massively wondrous swooping hair today. It is swooping. Uh, <laughs> swoops every day. Swoops every day. I don't do the head. I don't do the head snap though. Oh, you know I mean? but it works for you, man. No, it falls back down over your eye though. So yeah, you have to work on that head snap. I'll work on it. So my son has the head snap. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's got the swoopy hair as well. Yeah. And uh, I watched him yesterday during church, and he was bent over, and he just kept hanging it over his eyes. <laughs> I, I think he was just trying to hide his eyes. Sorry, Dan Reeves. I think my son was sleeping during your message. So oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. No, nah, he wasn't. He was too fidgety to be sleepy. And uh, we sometimes we don't give him his ADD medicine on Sundays, and we should. <laughs> and. You know, so God bless him. Uh, I love that kid, but he's a fidgety sucker. So, yeah, you know, anyway, the, you know what the answer is one of those fidget spinners. No, that's not the answer. <laughs> it increases the fidgetiness, dude. It makes me nervous. Like, I, I feel oh, like does. I got to keep it going the whole time. And it's like, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the worst invention to combat ADD <laughs> in the history of. Of inventions That's coming true, from an ADD rattled individual yeah. such as myself, yeah. And so, I mean, stuff to play. You know, like when I go to meetings and stuff, I I, I like to have something in my hands to play with. You know, just to kind of help me focus. And but fidget spinner is not the answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and it makes noise and movement, which annoys everybody else in the room. Yeah. So it's terrible, terrible. So, well, um. Great weekend for college football. Yeah, that's, that's your opinion. <laughs> Not so much. The only reason it was great for us because Arkansas had a bye. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, looking up, as as Nick said a while ago, uh, the upcoming Saturday with Texas A&M and Arkansas is the Unemployment Bowl. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, the midst of college football, we were talking before we started recording about the emotional ups and downs of being invested in a college football team it's and whether too or much. not we should be that invested or not it's too much and, i'm i'm yeah. i'm i'm quitting i'm i'm tired of the up and down i can't i can't take it anymore i uh yeah. i ha- i think i have a heart condition i think nick said that he was watching football and his uh, Apple Watch told him that he had a good workout. Like his heart, his heart, <laughs> yeah. his, his heart rate was so up and down that he, yeah. he's like, "Good job on your workout." It's like what? Yeah, I'm just sitting here. So like, we're, all, you know, this is kind of sad because we're all sitting here as Texas Longhorns, Tennessee Volunteers, and Arkansas Razorback fans. It's a bad and time. None of us. It's just, it's just not a good time. What a time to be alive. Us. What a time I'm to be alive. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So I just I just want to be an Alabama fan so I don't have to hurt anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, I was telling my wife about this this weekend, and she's like, you know what you should do? You should just change teams. I'm like, there is pain for everyone except yeah, Alabama, really. Except Alabama. And, and yeah. you can't switch to your biggest rival. You just can't. Yeah. It doesn't. Maybe we can root for Clemson. Yeah. You know what? I think I'm just going to. I feel like I'm more emotionally available to my sports team than to my family. So I think I'm just going to yeah. quit. <laughs> I think I'm just going to. Just, We're just gonna not do this anymore. Just gonna be let's a he- just, let's just not. Gonna, gonna be a healthy individual and just not yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, kids, I can't play with you right now. Daddy's watching the ball game. And, uh, I can't love you right now. There's no space in my right. life. Sorry, you. go fix yourself a burrito. I know you're three, but it's okay. And uh, Help us. fire up that grill. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> All right. Well, enough nonsense about college football. So uh, we we have digressed enough. And uh, I feel better enough. though. We, I feel better. Thank you. It was cathartic. It yeah. was. It we was we our initial plan was to do the entire intro with a British accent, and uh, but uh, we didn't. So it was still cathartic. Yeah. It's probably without. It's probably good for the audience. We didn't do that. Yeah. Because so. my British accent is kind of a hillbilly british accent well, southern england you know it's not not authentic yeah not n- not at all yeah. and uh i try i watched a lot of monty python you mm. know growing up mm. but uh still never was able to master it too hickish all right enough of us rambling on uh we're excited to have uh the one and only the myth the legend Danny Torres from Brooklyn, New York, on the line with us. In your best Southern accent, say hello to the Grind Podcast world. Yeehaw! How y'all doing? <laughs> Only like a true Brooklyner could do it. That was fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we've been excited about uh, getting Danny on the podcast. Just kind of an interesting story how we got connected, and then we'll jump in to some questions. We uh, 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 Danny found the podcast on iTunes. Uh, worst mistake he ever made was listening to that thing, and uh, some, some moments he'll never get back in his life. And uh, shot us an email and said, "Hey, found the podcast. You know, interested in what you guys are doing. Would love to talk to you sometime." And so Chad and I did a video conference call with him, and uh, we just like this guy, and uh, and we still have not met face to face but uh, we're working on trying to uh, maybe take a trip to new york to come see you buddy and uh and so we thought we got to get this guy on the podcast and let the rest of arkansas and all of our other listeners uh uh hear from danny and uh, native to to brooklyn bushwick neighborhood up there and so uh, uh so we're glad to have you on man and uh, looking forward to the conversation yeah absolutely thanks a lot guys man really appreciate it yeah all right, so tell us about a little bit of your ministry journey uh, before and leading up to the planting of Swerve Church, and and then tell us about the name. Where did you come up with Swerve Church? <laughs> yeah, well, you get asked that all the time. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was, you know, this is my this is my neighborhood. Born and raised in Brooklyn, and uh, man, by God's grace, I was actually born and raised uh, to Christian parents and brought me up um, in church. And so, man, just grew up um, being very active in the church and develop a love for ministry and for, you know, loving and serving my community and for, you know, doing everything. And I grew up in a small church, so we like I literally had to learn how to do a lot of stuff, man. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, I was very active in ministry, like teaching Sunday school, uh, teaching discipleship classes. I was a musician, um, did youth pastor. We streamed the services on Sunday. Uh, so some of the perks of kind of small church ministry and really learned to like really love, uh, f- I really fell in love with ministry in that context, you know. Yeah. And then uh, God just began to kind of take me on a journey. Um, and eventually, while you know, I was brought up and raised in this church, met my wife there, got married, had our first two kids there. And then God really began to kind of take me on a journey and he really started stirring something in my heart. And so, uh, man, through a lot of prayer and fasting and a lot of tears, you know, we decided to leave our home church and to kind of explore and see what other um, churches were out there. How are they ministering to uh, to New York City, to people in New York City? And uh, how are they discipling people? How are they evangelizing? And so we went on this this journey, man, just started visiting a couple of really great churches um, around. And, and throughout the whole process, uh, we were serving and so we served at a couple of new churches, helping them load and unload church plants and such and hmm. meeting inside of schools, New York City schools. And I loved it. Like, I, I, I sincerely loved it. But the whole time, I just couldn't shake this thing that I feel God placed on my heart. Um, that eventually was to be planting a church right in my neighborhood, you know, right, right where I was born and raised. And so I didn't want to do it. I, I just kept telling God, no, there's no way I didn't want to do this thing. And but eventually, man, I just couldn't shake this burden. God really placed on me uh, to plant a, a gospel centered, life giving church in my community. And so I, I stopped telling God, no, I was like, all right, God, if you want me to do this, uh, you're going to have to make a way, you know, you have to provide. And so Swerve Church uh, was kind of birthed that, from that from that vision, from that burden. And, uh, well, the definition of Swerve is the reason why we call it Swerve Church. It's not just because it's kind of a cool, sexy name or whatever. It's really mm-hmm. because the definition of Swerve is an abrupt change in direction. Hmm. And that's what we're praying to see in people's lives right here in our community. It's awesome. Awesome, yeah. man. I it's love cool. that. Yeah. Swerved. We don't have a swerve church in Arkansas. We need to plant a swerve church in Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, uh, <laughs> you need to help us do that. So is there a little hip-hop in that name as well? I mean, you're a hip-hop guy, aren't you? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm uh, born 85 and did a lot of my upbringing in the 90s, so a yeah. lot of hip-hop culture for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so you get your swerve on? <laughs> I'm sure they don't say it like that up there. Get your swerve on. <laughs> Show Danny. Tell me about you, you guys getting your swerve on. You tell do that up that. in New York, do tell you? Me about that. Do you? <laughs> oh, you just didn't know what you were getting into with this, did you? <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, well. Tell us a little bit about uh, just New York in general, particularly. You know, kind of what makes Brooklyn unique among all the other boroughs. Uh, And then Bushwick, I know there's some gentrification stuff going on in Bushwick that's kind of changing the dynamics, you know, where you grew up. And so kind of talk about, remove some of the mystique, I guess, of New York and Brooklyn and kind of give us a a homeboy kind of, you know, here's what it's like from somebody who grew up here. Yeah, well, you guys know New York City is the crossroads of the world. You know, everybody's here. It's uh, home to some of the most diverse zip codes in the pla- on the planet, you know, are here in New York City. Hmm. And uh, it's anywhere between 8.5, 9 million people call New York City home. And wow. uh, New York City proper is just the five boroughs. A lot of people think New York City is like just like Manhattan or Times Square, kind of part of New York City. There's actually five boroughs, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Bronx, and Staten Island. So those five boroughs, you know, make up uh, New York City. So in that, I'm in the borough of Brooklyn. Brooklyn is 
it's the most densely populated of the five boroughs. So it's wow. 2.9 million people in mm. the borough of Brooklyn. Gosh. And so, and you guys know this, like all of New York City split up into a bunch of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So my neighborhood where I live is Bushwick, Bushwick, Brooklyn. So it's it's a small little neighborhood in the borough of Brooklyn, which is in the city of New York. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I live, I live in Bushwick. It's a small neighborhood. It's less than two square miles, but it's home to, uh, it's home to over 140,000 people Unreal. in less than two square miles. Yeah. It's a yeah. little over 60% Hispanic uh, speaking community. Okay. And so it's very much, you walk up and down the streets, you're going to hear salsa, bachata, merengue, and uh, a lot of the shop owners speak Spanish. Uh, but with that, you get a lot of second and third gen, second and third gen as well that are growing up in the community. Right. So you mentioned a little bit about the gentrification thing. Um, Bushwick was was the seventh most impoverished neighborhood in New York City. So there's a lot of poverty in the community. There's um, there's housing and, and all that stuff. But Vogue uh, recently named it in the past. I think it was the past two years. It called it the called Bushwick the seventh coolest neighborhood in the world. Oh wow! wow. Which which asks which I which begs the question. How can Bushwick be the seventh most impoverished neighborhood in the city, but then be the seventh coolest neighborhood in the world? Yeah. Like to me, it seems like those two things shouldn't go together. And the answer is it really speaks uh, volumes of the gentrification that's going on in the community. Yeah. So, so it's very real. It's a very real thing that the neighborhood is going, not just Bushwick. It's a lot of places throughout New York City. And uh, for, for your listeners that maybe you've never heard of gentrification or what it is, it's basically when a certain class of people move into a community and displaces the people in that neighborhood. The people in the neighborhood can no longer afford to live there. And so basically, um, you know, you have a place like Bushwick where honestly you couldn't pay someone to move into this community, you know, not that long ago to now where, you know, all these fancy coffee shops and bars and these little DIY concert venues hmm. open up and now it's a real sexy place to be. And so uh, people begin to buy property. They fix up the, the, uh, the homes and they start jacking up the rent. And yeah. so now the people that have lived here all their lives, lived through the worst of the worst of the community can no longer afford to live here. And so they're displaced. Yeah. And so it's a very real issue that people in our community have to deal with. Yeah. So what kind of challenges in particular does that create for uh, a guy like you planning a church? I mean, you're born, raised there. This is home. Uh, and now you're kind of trying to navigate these two different worlds kind of clashing together a little bit. What? How, how has that affected you know, your church plant, either helped or, or hurt? Yeah, well, you know, th with this whole gentrification thing, it's a very, very real tension that everyone in the community feels. Yeah. I mean, um, as I scroll through like my Facebook feed and the people that I follow, business owners and friends in the community are all talking about the tension that exists in the community. And what's really interesting, too, is that gentrification is not a racial um, issue. It's really a class issue okay. when people with money move into the community and push out those that are, are poorer. Um, but what tends to happen is that, especially in a community like Bushwick, where it's 60 plus percent Hispanic, a great uh, portion, uh, another portion of that, it's black. And uh, the people that are moving in all happen to be white. And so it tends to be played off as a racial issue, even though it's not. Yeah. And so it's a very real tension that we have to deal with. Me as a church planner, right? 
Like we're we're all about the gospel. And like I say all the time, the only thing that can bridge the gap between hip hop and hipsters, the gospel, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I believe that and I know it. But the challenge that it presents is how do I, somebody who's been from this community all all my life, how can I reach the new people that are coming into the community? while understanding the very real tension that exists and the people that have called this place home all their lives, yeah, which, which includes me, right? Yeah. And so realizing that these people coming into the community that are taking over the neighborhood, they're different than me. They look different than me. They make way more money than I do. <laughs> so how can I relate to these people? How can I communicate? How we're, we're not in the same circles. We don't have the same relationships. So trying to figure out what it'll take. And so while I believe the gospel is the only thing that can unite the two worlds and the Bible teaches us this, right? Yeah. But practically, how do we flesh that out? How does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So you're working that out. We're trying to figure it out. Let us know when you figure it out yet. Yeah. Let us know when you pin it down. Right? Yeah. And we, we've had a couple of those issues in downtown Little Rock in particular, all mm. along the river. Uh, Arkansas River runs right through Little Rock, separates Little Rock from North Little Rock. And on both sides of the river, uh, there have been, you know, kind of lower income neighborhoods that now have been replaced by high rise condos. And, you know, the whole river market district has developed uh, with all kinds of shops and restaurants and everything, trying to create a cool downtown kind of vibe. And, and it has. I mean, it, uh, it's you know, I've, I've been North Little Rock since I was 13 years old and, and have watched all of that develop. And uh, it's just been a fascinating, fascinating thing to watch. But there, there were definitely a group of people that were pushed out of those areas to create these new new places to live. And that man, that's a that's a tough tension for the church in particular. You know, businessmen, it's business. You know, they can just kind of segregate that and compartmentalize it, but not the church. And yeah. uh trying to navigate that and figure that out is tough. Yeah, I agree. It's a very real tension that everybody deals with and everybody feels um on a community level. Um, even when you head to like some of the community meetings, we have a community, our local community board, I'll go to those meetings and uh, it seems very separated even there. You know, you can, you can see very much there's always a tension. Yeah. And, uh, and then every so often you'll get somebody who wants to open up a new bar and they're applying for a liquor license or whatever. And the community is like an uproar. They're like, no, we don't want you here. We don't want another bar, you know? So tell me a little bit, I'm, this is a little bit of a side note, but I'm just curious because I think... Uh, when I think about New York City, any of the boroughs, I think, how in the world does somebody make ends meet in a place that's so expensive for cost of living? Now, you're from there, born and raised, and now you live there. So I'm sure for you, or I'm assuming, there's there's just a cultural difference between living in a place like New York and living in a place like Arkansas. Yeah. You know, There's obviously cultural differences you're used to maybe – living expenses being high, you know, anyway, just help us like help some folks in Arkansas. If they're trying to get their mind around New York and Brooklyn and the, the whole cost of living separation, how do you, how do you think about it? Talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's super expensive. Anybody that comes up here, if you've ever vacationed here or if any of your listeners have ever vacationed in New York city, then they just know how, how expensive it is. You know, living is a super high, I mean, um, we, we've been trying to get into some little storefront or something to try to find. And the rent for like a little 500 square foot 
storefront to 700 square foot storefront is like 35, four grand. Oh my goodness. It's like it's, yeah, it's ridiculous for like a tiny little hole in the wall, you know, yeah. it can, can barely fit maybe 10 or 15 people in a spot like that. So it's, it's definitely the cost of living is really, really high. I'll tell you this, especially being, being from the neighborhood that I'm in, being in this part of Brooklyn specifically, uh, man, you just learn to hustle and you learn what you have to do <laughs> to get by, you know, yeah. and uh, you do what you got to do. And New York City is the city that never sleeps, and uh, you just got to grind. That's why I love this podcast. <laughs> you yeah. just keep grinding. You know, yes, we do, yeah. you do whatever you have to do to stay afloat. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, New York City will make or break you. And, yeah. uh, and so you just have to do what you got to do. You got to scrap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's neat because when you talk about Bushwick being this really small geographically uh, centered place, but then I mean the population concentration is just massive. What are the, you know, kind of the unique challenges yet opportunities? Because I mean you've got hundred and forty thousand people within a, you two know, mile. two miles from you, so you've got people, but man, you've also got hundred and forty thousand people within two miles of you. So Stacked on top of one another, it's challenging, but it's also an opportunity. Help us kind of unpack what those are. Yeah, sure. You know, in New York City, and it's probably the stereotypical New Yorker you can probably think of, a lot of it is true, you know, in that in that everyone's kind of in their own world. Everybody's doing what they have to do. Everybody's rushed. Everybody's hurried. You have, you know, the hustle and bustle of, of the city. And then you also have, as far as talking about um, challenges, is that even though there's so many people, there's a lot of people that feel very alone. Yeah. There's, there's so much loneliness amidst so much population amidst so many people. Mm-hmm. So some of the, th- those are some of the challenges that there's just so many people, everybody's in their own world, headphones plugged in on their phones, doing what they have to do. And, uh, and, and New Yorkers are skeptical, right? Like, like everyone is trying to sell you something. Everybody has uh, something they're trying to get you to. Everybody's trying to promote something. So New Yorkers are skeptical and, yeah. not, and not to mention the people that are out to get you. Yeah. You know, like when I walk down the street, I'm always looking like behind my back. You know, like, who's coming? <laughs> So New Yorkers are very, very skeptical. And so that's definitely true of people here. But at the same token, you know, what's really cool about the neighborhoods is that especially if you live in a place and, you know, your life is integrated into this neighborhood, it's that. It's a neighborhood and it has a neighborhood feel. You're going to run into people you know, even 140,000 people. But eventually you start knowing some people, the same store owners. You go to the same bodega. You say go to the same restaurant. And you end up running into the same people. You see a lot of the same faces. Hmm. You go to the community meeting. You go to the the precinct meetings. You end up knowing a lot of the community leaders and the local politicians. And so it has a very, very neighborhood feel. You end up getting to know people. Yeah. Yeah, It feels like you have a real incarnational approach to planting where you're you're trying to be a part of the community. I mean, you already are, obviously, born and raised, but – you want to be at those community meetings. You want to be a part. You don't. You don't just want to, you know, plant your church. And I mean, I'm sure it. It almost yeah. forces you to to do that. You have to be an integral part of the community to yeah. build those relationships to break through that skepticism. Well, I love that you said that um, because I think it was maybe a year or two ago. I was walking down the street and uh, something just clicked in my head, and I began to pray as I'm walking down my streets, and I said. I've been here my whole life, and I know the neighborhood from a person that lives in this community from that lens. And what I think I lacked was the fresh eyes of a missionary. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so I just started asking God, God, please wow. like open up my eyes. Give me the eyes of a missionary. Wow. Help wow. me see cool. my community through the eyes of a missionary, not just of somebody who's lived here, you know, my whole life. And yeah. so it helped me to really see, you know, the hurts, the pains, to be able to connect with people and to want and desire to be a part of a lot of those um, community meetings and such to really know more, like, like you were saying, China, about yeah. all that stuff. That's awesome, man. It's good stuff. So, okay. So, I mean, you've been there your whole life. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the church plant gives you a different perspective on why you're there, how you live there, how you relate to the shop owners, the restaurant owners, the, you know, the people that, you know, you've had relationships most of your life. How has that helped you, uh, in, in your church playing journey or, or has it been created more challenges because you're, oh, that's just, that's Danny from down the street. You know, what's Danny think he's doing trying to start a church? We know Danny. And, uh, you know, that's like, you know, can anything good come out of Bushwick? <laughs> you know, and uh, 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 how, how is, how's that dynamic been, you know, being from there and now planting, planting there as well? Yeah, you know, it is definitely presented its challenges. I mean, you would think there'd be some advantages to being from the community. And I, I would say, uh, missiologically, like knowing your community, understanding kind of the hurts and the pains and seeing the changes in the community, you understand it from that perspective. But from another perspective, uh, you're still dealing with New Yorkers and you're still dealing <laughs> with the skeptics and you're still dealing with the people that are very far from God and don't want to know anything about him and uh, want to live lives their own way. And I'll tie it into this, guys, something that I've been recently um, noticing more and more um, I think one of the main, one of the biggest hurdles that a lot of the people, and this might not be specific to all of New York City, but I, I'm starting to see it more and more in my neighborhood and probably neighborhoods like Bushwick, is that people aren't as turned off to the gospel as they are to the church. And, uh, and, and when there's people proselytizing, always inviting them, always trying to get them to come to their service or their church or whatever, people have been hurt by the church. You know, they've been, they have these hurt feelings and and don't want to experience that again. There's a lot of churches in, in our community. There's there's one on every corner. It's like you got barbershop, bodegas, and churches, you know. But a lot of the churches have uh, hurt, hurt people and have um, created a barrier, an obstacle for people to overcome. And so when you invite someone to church, they go to, their go-to right away is that memory of the way they were hurt. At, you know, in that church, in that congregation, they went to once upon a time, or, you know, you probably heard this all the time, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. They say that because it's tied to some story of somebody they know that was not living out what they preached. And so one of the main hurdles, one of the main obstacles to get over is not the gospel, it's not so much what Christ did, his work on the cross, but the very first hurdle is the come to church hurdle. They yeah. don't like man i don't i don't want to do do that again i don't want to get hurt again i don't want to go through that again yeah yeah man and and that's <laughs> you know unfortunately that's the case in most places uh you know we hear i have a, a buddy who's planting here in arkansas that was on the mission field in indonesia uh for 10 years planted house churches uh up and down um you know the northern coast of indonesia and of course they had you know it was a muslim country and uh, you know a lot of you know hostility just because of religious differences and stuff. And he said, but everything they did was focused on getting them to Jesus. It wasn't about putting them in a church right away. It was we've got to help them see Jesus 
other than what their Muslim faith has told them Jesus was. And and when he got here, he, he made a comment. He said, man, he said, I have found that sharing the gospel here is easy. Of course, he's coming from a Muslim country where it's very difficult. But he said, people are open to the gospel here. Uh, but he said, getting beyond that is hard. Mm. And, and I said, yeah. I said, there's this you know, there's this cultural Christianity you got to deal with. There's the, the, the hurt and, you know, mm-hmm. heartache from previous yeah. experiences. Even if it was their neighbor had a bit bad experience, they own that as well, you know? And, and, uh, but he said, man, folks will talk about Jesus. It's just when I try and then move them to, you know, the church, it gets challenging. And, and that's why it's so important you know, us as uh, as church planners and your audience that are listening to this, to uh, to create environments where you know the church is not is not the building. It's it's the called out. It's the it's the followers of Christ. It's living now Christ's truth and Christ's mission, and inviting people into community, inviting people into family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we're able to do that, it's it's a much different version of what people know as church. Like it's not just the service on a, on a Sunday where you meet people that you don't really want to talk to and don't really want to do life with and, uh, you know, sit down, listen to a sermon, sing the songs, put money in the plate, and then, all right, see you next Sunday. You know, we never hear from each other again. We're not in each other's lives. That's why I think it's so important that we create, you know, uh, and bring up an understanding of, man, the church is not a building. It's a people, and the church is not like a family. It is a family. We want to invite you into the context of relationship and community. Mm, Yeah. Boy, and biblical community and biblical hospitality Mm. become absolute keys to connecting the gospel in in that kind of environment. And, uh, and, and, and I, you know, everybody's guilty of this. I mean, we have all at some point in our lives fallen into the trap of being Sunday believers. You know, we, we've gone to church, we've gathered for worship and checked the box. Yeah, there we go. And because I mean, it's hard to do life with people sometimes, uh, even other believers, Hmm. sometimes maybe more hard to do life with other believers than it is non-believers but, yeah you know <laughs> that's a, that's a topic for another time and uh so danny okay. something you you said that kind of piqued my interest is that maybe a lot of people they're not turned off by the gospel but they're turned off by the church maybe it's something in their past experience how many people do you think because of new york new york city being you know skeptical not a lot of believers how many of those people have zero experience with the church, but they have perceptions of the church that they believe? Do you believe that's part of it? Like maybe they don't have any church background. Maybe they never went at all. Are you dealing with any of that besides just people that have been hurt by the church specifically? Yeah, I would, I would say maybe in New York City as a whole in different communities, I would say that can most certainly be true, right? Especially it's such a secular city. It's very uh-huh. post-Christian, post-modern. And so there's people that maybe have never even stepped foot inside of a church and, uh, and really don't know anything except for what they you know, read on, on a clip or, or a video that they see on Facebook or whatever, or read, it, read whatever the media covers. But I would say specific to my, my community, um, there's, there's a lot of, especially 60 plus percent Hispanic, a lot of them are connected to some sort of mm. uh, religion yeah. or church, 
um, even if it's like a Catholic background and they have yeah. that kind of understanding yeah. of, of the church. So specific yeah, to my community, a lot of people kind of, they, they understand church and they get it. And, you know, they'll go to church for a wedding or they'll be there Christmas and Easter or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's, good. I, that's an interesting thing to note, I think, because I think particularly in the South, a lot of us would see New York City and say very unchurched, no church presence, you know, uh, that would not probably uh, be how people perceive, you know, Brooklyn. But but with a strong Hispanic community, you know, I, I imagine Catholic presence is pretty strong. Uh, and and even in African American communities, there is a church presence somewhere, yeah. even if it's grandmother. Yeah. Uh, a lot of grandmothers. It's, it's a cultural yeah. kind of thing, and so uh, mm. so that's that's not so different from Arkansas uh, when you get in environments like that, which pr- really presents its own challenges versus a neighborhood that has no church memory, you know, or anything. So yeah. That's great to know. Uh, before we get into kind of the one piece of advice you give church planters, which is a kind of a question we use to wrap up with, with everybody, I, I just wonder, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but because of our limited understanding, we've asked you these questions, but are we, what are we missing that you would want to tell us about your story, yeah. about your neighborhood? What are we, what have we not hit on that just maybe sticks out into your mind that you, you just feel like we should know or a story you want to tell or yeah, uh, complete freedom here. But I just, yeah. I just want to make sure we've, we haven't missed something that's sitting out in your mind that you really want to say. Yeah. You know, I've, I've come to realize that, um, at least through my experience, it's been my experience and a lot of other church planting friends that I know that are planting throughout the city and stuff that it just takes a lot longer to, to build a relationship, to, uh, to have someone respond to the gospel or to plug into the life of the community, or even once they're plugged into the life of the church, serving and giving, like it just takes a lot longer. The on-ramp is like huge. It's a long, long Mm. on-ramp and it takes a long time and it takes a lot of patience and it just takes a very long time to be able to engage people and to have people uh, come on board. And we love the stories of like, you know, guys that transplant into the city and plant like a mega church, you know, one day to the next. That's great. (laughs) But it's been my experience that like the average guy in the city and especially indigenous church planters like myself, people that are from the community Mm. that they're planting in, um, it just takes a lot longer. Now, remember, being indigenous, like, I'm not coming out of, like, some wonderful uh, a mega church with great uh, understanding on discipleship and evangelism and small groups. Like, I've had to learn a lot of that stuff, and that's really part of been part of my journey, learning all that stuff. Um, being indigenous has meant, like, tra- like, trying to train and find out and ask questions, investigate, and like remain teachable uh, mm-hmm. to figure out some of the best ways to reach people in my community. And it just, it, I've come to see that it's just a very, very long on-ramp to make that happen. Yeah. yeah and I'm glad you brought that up. Cause when we talked before, you know, one of the things we talked about being, uh, you know, a, a native Brooklyner, uh, you don't have <laughs> connections with a lot of, you know, churches across the South where a lot of, there are a lot of resources in the church in the South. And and so being born and raised in Bushwick, growing up in Bushwick, planning in Bushwick, you don't have those relationships. And this is one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast to, to expose you to Arkansas and some of our connections and relationships around 
because there are guys like you all over the country who are trying to plant churches in their neighborhoods because you love Bushwick, you love Brooklyn, it's where you're from, you know those people, they need Jesus, but it does take a long time. The cost of living is high, uh, and to get something off the ground just takes some resources. And and we want folks in Arkansas to get to know you and hear your story and, and understand, look, this is front lines. Uh, I mean, you know, new territory kind of mission work. Uh, and you need help. And we want to create some help and build some relationships for you. And for those of you listening, you know, that will be attending our Arkansas Baptist State Convention annual meeting, Danny will be here uh, in Arkansas. You've never been to Arkansas before, right? Never been. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Buddy, you're about to have a cultural awakening. A cultural experience. That's true. So we wanted to get Danny down here to to let people you know interact with him and 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 see him and hear him. I, you know, as Chad and I have been talking with him over the last you know, month or so, and we just love your story, love what you're doing, and and we want to be a part of that in some way. And so so here's you know here's kind of the first uh, introduction to Danny Torres, and and in November uh, he's going to come and join us, and you'll get to see face-to-face and and so uh so so those of you looking for partnerships Danny would be a great one to partner with and could put you to work right away so is that accurate that's accurate man there's a lot of work to do up here man that's so, right you know yeah. you know, i was sitting there thinking when you said brooklyn was what'd you say 2.8 million people 2.9 yeah. 2.9 million people there's 3 million in arkansas total and wow. so, yeah, so the wow, population crazy. numbers are right there together. Wow. And, uh, that's, and that's just Brooklyn. Yeah, that's just yeah, Brooklyn. That's just one borough uh, in New York. And so, uh, uh, as, as, gosh, that's just hard to believe. Hey, well, how, big, how big is Little Rock, Dave? About 300,000 yeah, so, total. So Bushwick is half of what Little Rock is. It's, it's North Little Rock. Yeah. But yeah. crammed into a two-mile Yeah. You know, square. Yeah. Golly, that's <laughs> just, just a lot of people right that, on top of one That's another. what I'm saying. That this podcast could go on and on because it's just a fascinating cultural it is. It is. Uh, experiment, if yeah. you will, just a conversation about it. Well, and, and I, you know, and this is the way we started. I mean, there's this mystique about Brooklyn, you know, and, and the boroughs in New York City uh, as a, a completely uh, foreign country, you know, to a lot of folks from the South. And, uh, but, you know, sitting here talking to you and, and listening to you talk about mm. your neighborhood is just like sitting here listening to us talk about our neighborhoods. Yeah. I mean, there's no difference in that. And people yeah. are people. Uh, you were born and raised there. I mean, it's, it's home. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, for those that are interested in New York City and, and wouldn't even know where to start, you've got an indigenous pathway here to connect with a city that, that is, it is the gateway to the world in the U.S. Hmm. I mean, you talk New York City and L.A., I mean, those are the two places that, I mean, every part of the world is touched in those two cities. And so uh, uh, this is just, it's just been fun. Yeah. Yep. All right. Was there anything you want to say to church planters? Maybe <laughs> one piece of advice? Yeah. Um, this is something that's helped me. I think I heard Craig Rochelle say this first that uh, you have everything you need to do what God's called you to do right now. And we can present like a million and one excuses as to why not go for it. The cost of living is too high. It's too hard work. People don't want to respond to the gospel. 
But man, I've just been a firm believer that you have everything you need to do, whatever God's called you to do. It's right in your hands right now. Just got to have the faith to start, and God will provide whatever else you need along the way. And I've seen him do that in my life over and over and over again. That's Good. that's awesome. Yeah. That's going to play in real well with the book I'm going to recommend today. Because <laughs> <laughs> he talks about that as well. So, uh, all right. Well, Danny, we do. Uh, I don't think I sent you these questions, but you've listened to the podcast. Hey, it's even better yeah. if he's not gotten them. I it know. May, it I makes know. for even a funner response. I mean, he's listened to the podcast. Oh, so that's knows. true. Yeah. So oh, he, he's a veteran. So uh, we got to do rapid fire with you. And, and awesome. I am so excited to see the distinct flavor that this brings. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so, uh, all right. So top one or two books that have been a, had a big impact on you. I'm going to say a recent read. Um, I read it in the last year, and it was uh, by Nick, by, uh, Nick Ripkin, hmm. yeah. Insanity of God. Yeah. Yep. All right. What about your biggest strength in ministry and your biggest weakness to overcome? I would say I'm pretty easygoing and uh, can relationally kind of connect, connect to people and hold conversations. I'm pretty patient. My weakness, I would say, man, I can be such an Eeyore sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, like in church planning, you got to be encouraged. You got to stay encouraged. You got to stay positive. And I can be mm. such an Eeyore sometimes. Yeah. That's definitely a weakness. <laughs> it's of mine. okay, Danny. <laughs> yeah. You'll be fine. That's right. No, the right. rain will stop eventually. <laughs> Uh, that's that's our southern Eeyore. That's terrible. It's terrible, it's a terrible Eeyore. Eeyore yeah, it? we should repent of that yeah. attempt to be Eeyore. Uh, all right, favorite hobby or pastime? I would say I, mean, I love playing basketball. Uh, my ankles aren't as youthful as they used to be. Uh, but something we yeah. love to do here at home is we love to watch YouTube videos. We love watching vlogs on YouTube. Yeah. So that's really, we love doing that. That's fun. Favorite movie? All right. I'm gonna. I was thinking about this, and I'm gonna have to go with. It's hard for me to pick favorites, okay, guys. Yeah. But here's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say a movie that I would love to. I don't mind watching over and over and over again. Yeah. Jumanji. Oh, you know, there's a new one coming. So, what out. do you think about the new? Yeah. yeah, with the Rock. I mean, it's not gonna be you know the, the original. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. But he uh, has but potential I, I to be funny. Jumanji. It looks oh, pretty yeah. funny, especially because yeah. Jack Him Black is Hart. a teenage girl. I know it. <laughs> Yeah. Or, yeah. or teenage girls jack black yeah. anyway there's a teenage girl inside of jack black his character so that'll be funny that could be funny <laughs> yeah yeah completely different take on that the is, whole movie but a i'm yeah. a huge jumanji fan as well and uh, of course anything with robin williams i love loved yeah. robin williams so yeah. all right favorite band or musician all right so again favorites <laughs> are hard for me to say but just for you guys and for all the listeners, I'm going to give you somebody real New York. You might have to Google him. Okay. His name is Big Pun. He was a big Puerto Rican rapper up here. He's really famous in New York City. Uh, so Big Pun. All right. All right. <laughs> Keeping that's, it local. That's the first time we've had Big Pun yeah. uh, mentioned as a favorite. We get a lot of Leonard Skinner and classic <laughs> rock down here. you know. Yeah. So Unfortunately. See, that's what I was wanting. That's, I wanted a New York answer. We wanted, a Puerto, we wanted a Puerto Rican rapper. That's what we <laughs> that's needed. Right. That's what the grind needs for that's sure. That's exactly right. <laughs> little little uh, diversity uh, up in here. Big Pun, if you ever listen to this, huge shout out, buddy. <laughs> that's right. And, that's uh, right. <laughs> From Arkansas. Oh, and anything awesome. to make this podcast less Caucasian, Dave, is always good. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Neil Neil helps out. You know, he, he does. brings the flavor. But yeah, but he talks like a white guy. I mean, Neil, I love you, dude. 
But when you read your stories, you talk like a white guy. Hey, you should have him do his white guy voice <laughs> oh, for I you. Know it. I you'll know think, it. You'll think twice about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Neil, who does our story time with Uncle Neil, was yeah. uh, he was radio DJ for uh-huh. several years, and uh, and so he does. He pulls out his radio voice <laughs> when uh, when he does our story time, and uh, uh, I love it. It's so he is. I'm telling you, he's one of the funniest guys yeah. on the planet. Yeah. You will enjoy getting to meet him when yeah. you come down yeah. here, man. Can't wait. Yeah. He's a he and I grew up in the same neighborhood. And, uh, um, and hey, so. bring your basketball shoes. There's usually a group one night at the annual meeting that that ends up hooping it up around like. 10 30 at night yeah all our collegiate pastors un- yeah something ungodly yeah at, at night and yeah. uh, there's always one or two who take it too too, too seriously but uh yeah. for, for for us uh guys with bad knees and ankles you, you can come ball with us so. that's right that's right come yeah. join the slow awesome. team yeah yeah, no. <laughs> yeah so don't forget your high tops it's <laughs> uh, awesome all right well thanks danny so much uh man can't wait to get you down here and and hang out and we in all seriousness we are working on a uh trip to new york come see you and hang out with you boots on the ground and uh and so uh stay tuned for uh we're gonna try and uh share some videos danny's gonna send us and yep. let you guys get a better feel for where he is and, and what he's trying to do and and then uh at our annual meeting in november uh he will be uh live and in person and uh, hanging out with us for a couple of days so uh, looking forward to that and uh man blessings to you uh, you and your family and we're praying for you and uh gonna see if we can't get some partners to come help you in new york awesome thank you guys so much let me just thank you guys for the resource that you guys provide with the podcast now listen to every single one and it's so so helpful so encouraging uh, what you guys are doing through the podcast keep it up man i appreciate it well thanks man yeah, thanks we appreciate so that a bunch all right, yeah. buddy. Well, thanks much, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. Take care, guys. All right, see you, man. Great conversation with Danny. Uh, I, I tell you, just you know, just kind of funny how you know we've connected with him. Just with the chance, you know, him searching on iTunes for the for for church planning podcasts, and the grind just happened to pop up, and yeah. he starts listening. And then he, he shot us an email to ask us about it, connect with us, and and he said, you know, I really didn't respond expect anybody to respond and of course we did right away and he was blown away by that and (laughs) and i tell you he is just such a genuine gracious humble guy yeah uh just got a posted a facebook picture of us talking to him a while ago and steve Cantor, uh what's up steve uh who's the sin city missionary for new york city just posted out and said daniel torres is one of my favorite dudes in the city yeah and so cool. Cool. that's that's been you know our experience that we really like this guy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and think you guys will too. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview. And uh, so sharp, just such a unique perspective. You know, having grown up in the neighborhood, right. lived there his whole life, and now planning a church, and all of the crazy relational dynamics that both help and challenge that. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, I, he he said something, and you probably you wrote this down too. I think we both picked up our pen <laughs> at this point, where he said, "You know, I've lived in this city my whole life, and I was walking down my street one day and praying, and realized mm. that I had never looked at my city from the eyes of a missionary." Yeah. Yeah. And and I began to pray, God help me see this city with fresh eyes, mm. the eyes of a missionary. And I thought, 
Now that is in, that's an interesting insight. Yes, and because uh, sometimes we, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes mm. we become so familiar with a place that we can't see it any other way. Right, and you know, it's obvious that Danny loves Bushwick and loves Brooklyn, and and that's home for him. Uh, but uh, God has a plan for Bushwick and Brooklyn, and so so you know, asking God to show us, okay, God, how do you see Bushwick? You know, give me your eyes. Uh, I think it's Reggie McNeil in his Missional Renaissance book. He he challenges churches to to find a, a prominent place in their city where, where kind of a pathway where people walk and, and cross and had conversations. And, and he says to go and, and sit for an hour. When you sit down, ask God, okay, God, help me see these people as you see them. Help me hear them as you hear them. And show me what you see. And he said, sit there for an hour and pray and just listen as people cross paths. And he said, if you'll do that with a church and, and different positions around a city and then come back after that hour and start talking about what you heard and what you saw, he said, typically certain patterns will begin to develop and mm-hmm. you'll begin to see different needs pop up that maybe you didn't realize were as common as once were. And he said, then that creates pathways for ministry and mission you know, for the church. And, and I, I think that's what Danny's trying to do. Uh, we didn't talk about this in the podcast, but it's kind of give you an idea of what he's experienced. He's only been going about a year. I, I believe that's right. Uh, isn't that what he Something said? Something like that. I Something think. like that. He's still early on in this church planning journey. But they did an Easter egg hunt before Easter, and there's like 15 of them right at that point gathering in their church. And, <laughs> and so they had about 11 volunteers, I think, there for this Easter egg hunt. And he said, we were expecting maybe 100 or so <laughs> and had almost 700 people show up yeah. for this Easter egg hunt. He said, we were completely overwhelmed and swarmed. And he said, it turned out to be okay, but he said, we were not prepared <laughs> for what that was going to do. Yeah. So and when you've got 145,000 people packed in a two-mile you know, kind mm. of radius, uh, you know, that, that's what you get when you do community events. Yeah. And so, uh, but th- I mean, just the, there's this, this overwhelming need and desire to, to connect, you know, there, yeah. I think yeah. and people are lonely, they're disconnected, they're disheartened and, uh, and just need, uh, you know, really the gospel of the kingdom, uh, to, to wade into their lives. So. Just right, no, I th- yeah. When he said, "I walked down my neighborhood and was praying, God, give me, you know, eyes to see my neighborhood, missionary eyes, or whatever." He moved. He's been Bushwick his whole life. He grew up there, born and raised, but he moved back into his neighborhood that day. Yeah, like he, that's right. he, he had a, a fresh perspective that we all need to have in our Southern culture. We think we know the culture. We think we're from here. If you're from the South and you're planting here. You got to move into your name. You got to remove into your context. Yeah. You really do. And what that, what that's, I don't know what he, what he said was so good that it's, it's not that people have a problem with the gospel. They have a problem with the church. Yeah. And I think that's the South. I mean, we, exactly. You know, we, we, there, I think there are some parts of New York, obviously not his neighborhood, but that are kind of pre Christian in some ways. We're definitely post Christian here. I mean, they've, they've seen it. They, they, they have had access to it. They have rejected it. You right. Know? And so we we have got to do the hard work of building bridges to get to people, to break through their skepticism, to through relationship, through yeah. natural and neutral connections. And just when he said that about people being open to the gospel, I think he's right. So it's not 
we can't get them to our church. We need to get the church to them. Yeah. You know, and so I think he's just embodying, you know, what we're trying to do here even is yeah. just try to, to help people to think more like missionaries and well, I thought it was just awesome, all that he said. And, and, it, and it just reveals that whether you're in, in Arkansas or New York, people are still dealing with the same issues. They still need Jesus, not just the church. Right. And uh, while the church is the, the, uh, you know, the missionary arm of Christ, I mean, that's his sent people, uh, we are continually point them to Jesus right and because uh, he's the answer uh, and uh, and the church will only be as effective uh, as, as it promotes people you know connects yeah. people to Jesus yeah. and so um, so you know so great stuff uh, long on ramp long runway mm-hmm. even though he's indigenous to the neighborhood, I loved it. He said, we're still dealing with New Yorkers. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, still, you know, some of those stereotypes that we have about New Yorkers are true. They're stereotypes for a reason. Mm. And uh, uh, there's some truth behind those those things. And, and those are tough nuts to crack sometimes. And it does take patience. And what he's doing by immersing himself in the neighborhood. And I, yeah, he, I don't know if he commented this on the podcast or if it was in our conversation before. Uh, talking about, I mean, lived in Brooklyn his whole life, and he got to witness the Macy's fireworks display up close. It's an invitation-only thing. And the, the police department was the one that gave him tickets, he and his family tickets, to see this, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome. It says something about his relationship uh, with the police department there to where that would that would happen, that they wanted to, him to be a part of. Yeah. That deal. I, that's those are the kind of things when when those kind of things start happening, then then there's God's up to something. I mean, yeah. that's, there's something going on there, right. and uh, those are kind of those cool little affirmations that okay, we're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Got to stay the course, hang in it. Uh, you know, is is you know, how do you live in Brooklyn? Well, you hustle, you you fight and scrap to make ends meet. Yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's a church planting mindset Mm -hmm. anyway. I I mean, it's, that's been life, you know, for him. And so there's so many things we could talk about uh, in that. Uh, Just uh, more around this guy, the more I love this guy. And so Danny, thank you for, for coming on and joining with us. And uh, I hope to have some, some stronger connections in the future. Yeah. All right. We're going to kick it over now to story time with uncle Neil. It's story. Today's story comes from William Vassar in Hoxie, Arkansas. After attending a church planting conference at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, William Vassar was motivated to launch a church. He was taught at that conference that you don't have to be a large church to plant other churches. At another conference, William was convicted again by Speaker Paul Kim, who said that any congregation with at least 50 members should be planting new churches. As a result of this revelation and conviction, the Hope Family Church was launched with First Baptist Church Hoxie as its partner. Since its launch, the church has baptized more than 12 people in less than 90 days. What a great story of conviction, commitment, and partnership. We want to hear your story. Email us at thegrind at absc.org. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right, 
Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. All right, we've got, uh, uh, we're doing a twofer today uh, on, on the bookshelf. Uh, just recently, you know, I've known about this guy for a little while through his blog, Stuff Christians Like, but I've just started reading through John Acuff's books, and and I love this dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with one of his more, one of his more recent ones, and I'm gonna have to go back and pick up the others. And Chad's gonna talk about another one of his books here in a second. But I just finished uh, Start by John Acuff, and, and I love the 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 subtitle here: Punch Fear in the Face. Faiths, Faith. my lisp. Punch fear in the face, escape average, and do work that matters. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a better subtitle <laughs> title for church planting than that right there. And, and the one Chad's going to talk about is very similar as well. Uh, you know, Acuff's pastor's son grew up in the church. Uh, you know, writes. He, he has this unique uh, melding of corporate world and church world, and he references both. You know, throughout his books. Um, but the whole start, Danny said something uh, that he heard Craig Rochelle say, which is a great segue into talking about this book. He said he heard Craig Rochelle say one time uh, that you have everything you need to start doing what God's called you to do. Hmm. And, and so start. And, and that's, that's really what Acuff is saying. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of comments he made, and there's so many things we could talk about in this book. We could do, I could do a podcast on this book. Uh, I, I really loved it. I think everybody ought to read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm recommending it everywhere I go. It's easy to read, fun read, great stories, just some great insight along the way as well. But yeah. he made a comment about uh, he, he, there's a buddy of his in Nashville that has a kind of a counseling and retreat center for musicians. And some of the you know the folks that live in Nashville that you know the the music world can kind of grind you down you know, after a while and they just a place to get away and somebody to listen and he said it's musicians only and he said I got an invitation because of you know some relationships and connections and got to be a part of that and he said uh, he asked me one day he said uh, John he said he said what do your inner voices tell you. <laughs> You know, when you're when you're writing a book or when you're doing a ministry or whatever, you know, what do your inner voices tell you? And he said, I'd never had anybody ask me that question. And he said, I really didn't know what to answer. And he said, I've thought about it a lot since he asked me. He said, it has been my experience when I ask that question, particularly musicians, that none of the inner voices are positive. Mm. They're always critical. Uh, you're not good enough. You've waited too late to start. Uh, nobody's going to like this. Uh, you should give up this dream and go do something practical. I mean, he's, you, you, he said, you name it. He said, none of the inner voices we listen to are ever positive. Mm. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was one of those moments where I'm, I listened to the audio on this and then I bought the book so I can go back through and make some notes and everything. And I, it's one of those moments where I'm driving down the road, listening to this and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Uh, and, and start replaying my, okay, what do my inner voices tell me? And, and it really reveals some of our insecurities that we mm-hmm. all have that come out in different ways. And I thought, my goodness, they're not positive. Right. And, and which, which then, you know, makes it that much more important that we're listening to what Jesus is saying to yes. us and yes. letting him be our, our Holy Spirit you know, his Holy Spirit being our, the only inner voice that we're listening to. Yep. Otherwise we'll never do anything. Right. And, uh, 
hit the whole section. He, he, he kind of breaks this down into really kind of five major parts, um, you know, with, um, uh, you know, kind of learning, you know, where you're going to start, what you're going to do, learning how to do that. You know, the editing section where you're fine tuning and tweaking, you know, what you're doing, whether it's a business or a church plan or whatever. Uh, the mastering section where you're really learning from some people that will help you fine tune and you'll own what you're doing and really master it. And then receiving the harvesting section is, you know, reaping the results of your hard work and what you've done. And then you become a guide and you try and help, you know, others along the way as well. And and each one of those sections are great. The whole editing section and the mastering section mm-hmm. were the two that I thought were really helpful for me because uh, I feel like in church planning, that's, you know, I, I step into the, the guiding role a lot just because of the nature of our job. Uh, but I'm still trying to figure out, you know, this incarnational mission piece, you know, in our neighborhood, in our community, myself. So, so while I'm guiding in some ways, I'm still editing mm-hmm. and trying to master some things yeah. as well. And so just thinking through my ministry, current ministry, it was, it was good. Yeah. Was good. D- didn't he say in there that it used to be that you'd have a decade in your twenties that was this phase and a decade yeah. in your thirties, it was this, and, yep. but he said now because of technology and so many things you can actually go through all of those stages fairly quickly right. and then start over in something else yeah yeah you know or whatever you could you can start a new career at 40 exactly or 50 or whatever there's and he talked about some retirees and you know closing down one phase of their life yeah and he said it's very important to have a plan for what you're going to do right 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 because you, i mean you just kind of die on the vine if there's not something else to start you know yeah. after you know, your career is done yeah and just so much good insight. Yeah. I mean, he's really a sharp guy. That's why you see a lot of people's health go down. Exactly. When they exactly. Retire. And uh, cool. working for Dave Ramsey, uh, you know, now, is, he I was. highly recommend him. I don't think he is anymore. He's not anymore? Yeah, I don't okay. think he is anymore. Uh, so anyway. He did for a while. Yeah. I've read, I've read I, this is an all-A-cuff bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, I've also read Start, really, really appreciated it. Before I start, I read Quitter, which is another one of uh, his books, and uh he had eight jobs in eight years, eight different jobs in yeah. eight years, all with benefits, retirement, you know, all, all of this, like real jobs, like grown up yeah. jobs. But he just kept going from job to job to job. And <laughs> yeah. he talks about doing the reverse Superman. Have you ever heard of heard, uh-huh. heard that? So he said he, he, he really wanted to be a speaker and an author. It's yeah. been his dream. Right. Uh, and so he would be on a weekend uh, speaking somewhere and he'd come in on Monday morning from a flight and change back into his khakis and whatever he calls it the reverse superman because he was doing his like superhero job yeah. then he comes back to the khakis and button up and goes sits in his <laughs> sits in his cubicle you know but he talks about kind of doing side hustles and if you really want to do your dream job quote unquote you got to be willing to hang in with your day job a little yeah. bit i don't know if he talks about this and start but he says if you quit your day job without another job uh, you might get rid of your boss, but your cell phone bill becomes the boss. Your mortgage becomes a boss. Your yeah. utilities become a boss. Your car payment becomes a boss. In other words, you're you're trading one boss for another. Yeah. So, anytime you ever you know leave one job, make sure you have something else to do. And just anyway, he talks about really trying to get from your day job to your d- dream job yeah. and doing what you really feel like uh, you, you were called to do. So anyway, that's the whole premise of the book. Really good. Really yeah. really helpful. I think. Uh, Anybody who's who's really trying to figure out, all right, what is it that I really want to be about, and what's just a gig that I have to do to 
make ends meet. Yeah. You know, it's a really good to help bring some clarity and next steps for that. So and, and I think recommend it. It doesn't matter what what job ministry, there are things that you have to do to get to do what you want to do. That's right. I mean, it's the nature of life. I mm-hmm. hate paperwork. Uh, I don't like paperwork. I don't. I don't like having to have church planners fill out forms and documents. And I don't have. I don't like to read them. Right. Uh, you know, it's just I don't like paperwork. Uh, but we have to do that. Right. To be able to get to do what I love to do, which is hang out with church planners. Right. You know, and, and encourage church planners, mm-hmm. and you know, connect guys you know, who are thinking about church planning with location and people, and mm-hmm. that's what I love to do. Right. But there are some necessary things you have to do to get to do what you want to do. And uh, amen. Uh, yes. So uh, <laughs> we'll we'll leave that. All right. So there's there's uh, an all John A. a uh, bookshelf yep. for you today and uh, check those out and uh, we think you'll enjoy them quitters up on my list coming up and also his book do over haven't read it yet either yeah i'm gonna so, try that one yeah i think those will think those will be good and so well guys thanks so much for for joining us uh i hope you enjoyed the interview with danny uh you know and sure enough uh by the time this releases we'll be a few weeks away from our absc annual meeting come meet danny hang out with him uh, we're going to do some things with him while he's here and uh, really looking forward to having him here and see what kind of culture shock that is for him coming from Brooklyn. And so, uh, you know, a few things coming up, uh, you know, our ABSC annual meeting, you know, that first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, November, uh, we'll be at First Baptist Russellville. All our church planners, we need you there. We are doing some significant highlighting of church planting at those events and at that event. So please come be a part of that. You'll, you'll get more information about that to come. And uh, um, so uh, by the time this airs, I believe we will have done our one day with Jared That's Wilson. That's what I was wondering. Yep. And so uh, just got confirmed, uh, just a little nugget. Uh, in the spring next year, uh, Neil Cole will be joining us for a two-day, uh, two-location event. So we are over ecstatic uh, about that and uh, cannot wait uh, to get Neil here. If you haven't heard Neil Cole, you do not want to miss that one. Uh, he is, uh, that, that dude is awesome. And uh, so that, that's about it. So until next time, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, check us out iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all that stuff, ABSC, uh, church planning page. Uh, write us a review on iTunes. That stuff helps. Uh, guys like Danny Torres find our podcast. <laughs> and, That's right. Uh, and so uh, do that for us. We've got mug and book we'll send you. And so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we have a blast and hope this has been an encouragement to you. And we'll see you next time. Keep grinding.